Our gospel reading today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 13 to 20. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of death will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. The word of the Lord. Has anybody told you today that you're the beloved of God? Ah, you are. Beloved sons, beloved daughters, and there's nothing you can do about it other than saying thank you. Yes. So this past week I was at Chautauqua Institute out in upper, upstate New York. Have any of you been to Chautauqua? You have, Nan? Okay, Peg, Ron. Um, it is a wonderful, um, indescribable place of Christians from different denominations coming together for lectures, for prayers, for worship services. It was started by Methodists in 1874 as part of the camp meeting movement and tradition. And um, so for the past week, I've been worshiping with Christians who worship differently than Methodists and praying with Christians and seekers who pray differently than I'm used to praying and um, sharing ideas about how to serve God and how to serve the poor in ways that are different than my understanding. It was really wonderful. And then we all realized the universality of how we drink coffee together. Because <laughs> on every front porch of every house, there's a Methodist house, a Presbyterian house, an Episcopal house, a Baptist house, Lutheran house, I'm sure I'm missing some. They all have coffee on waiting for anybody to come up to the porch and have some coffee and some conversation. It was delightful. And um, as I'm there, I, I found myself listening for a word from God that might be for me, it was for my own spiritual renewal, but it might be for someone else. And to say, God, what do you have for us here at the Chatham United Methodist Church? And there's, there's a few things that I think God might be saying to us and it's not just for this morning, but it may be moving forward. I, um, so last, last year, Julie, Matthew, Elizabeth, and myself, we went out to visit some friends in California, and we went to L.A., and when we were at L.A., we went to the Homeboy Industries, which is in the heart of, um, you know L.A., heart of what? Skid Row. Skid Row, a lot of gangs. A lot of people who are hurting and in need. 
Um, Dave and Becky went to Homeboys as well that, that same week. And um, there's a ministry that Father Greg Boyle has started of getting gang members off the streets and into jobs. He, his, he spoke at Chautauqua last week, and he said, I think the title of his sermon was, we, we don't bake, we don't hire homeboys to, break, to bake bread, we bake bread to hire homeboys. Which is one of the ways of saying if, if people have a job, they can get out of the gang. They also offer free tattoo removal, which helps people integrate back into a society where they're not bound by um, the, the gang life. We had lunch at Home Girls Cafe. Did you eat at Home Girls Cafe? A couple times. A couple times. Yeah, we go there all the time when we visit May. It's really good food. It's awesome. It's an awesome, awesome thing. So these are home girls that come out of the gangs. They're taught a trade. They're taught how to bake, how to cook, how to prepare meals, how to work the cash register, how to serve. And hundreds of people are employed by homeboys industry. Um, and, And this... This is my mug from Homeboys. So I got to spend some time with Father Greg, who's a saint. He's, he's 63 years old. He's been working with the gangs for the last 20 years. They love him. They love him. He loves them and says, we have more to learn from them than they have to learn from me. He said something that I thought, oh, somebody in our church, maybe in our denomination, needs to hear this. He said, God doesn't want anything from you. Let me just let that sink in a bit. God does not want anything from you. God wants something for you. God doesn't want anything from us. God wants everything for us. And what God wants most for us is joy. Do you remember that passage in the Gospel of John? Uh, that God's joy might be in us and our joy might be made complete. That satisfies the thirst of God. So among other things that I will probably be processing and sharing over the next few weeks and months, in our conversations with Greg, he's very interested in coming to Chatham United Methodist Church at some point in 2018. Um, I I went up there with a friend of mine who's uh, the priest of the Catholic Church in Westfield and we sought him out, we sought Greg out and we said, we feel like God's calling you to come to New Jersey. And so uh, he he said, yeah, I'd be very interested. So we're working on that. Please add that to your prayers because he's written a book called Tattoos on the Heart which so many people have read in this area I've heard people in the Chatham area reflect on this book. I think, I, did I loan the, t- I the CDs? Audiobook, yeah. The audiobook. It's really better to listen to him tell these stories. He's one of the best storytellers I've ever heard. Um, YouTube him. YouTube some clips. And uh, pray that the doors will open to get him to speak here one day and at Westfield the next day. Um, I put a picture of us up on Facebook. Already a thousand people are resonating with it and said, You know, I'm coming. Whenever he comes, let us know. Um, I filmed a a brief part of the sermon at Chautauqua, and we're going to see this now. Good morning. 
I'm here at Chautauqua Institute in Chautauqua, New York. It's about an hour from Friendship. Those of you who went to Rise this past summer, we are, I'm standing about an hour west of where we were in Friendship. It's about 275 miles from Chatham, six hour drive. I highly encourage any of you who are interested and have the time to come to Chautauqua at some point. It is a uh, Methodist founded camp meeting that um, has become an ecumenical place for people of different faith traditions to come together and uh, explore one another's faith and learn from one another and experience some of the the good community that we all hope to have as as people of faith. Behind me are some of the houses of Chautauqua. One of those houses back there was where Thomas Edison uh, met his wife and married the Miller girl who lived in the Miller cottage. You can see behind me some of the, the uh, hotels and homes of Chautauqua. Also behind me is a scaled model of the Holy Land. One point, I think the scale is 1.75 feet per mile. And so you can see behind me what is the Dead Sea, and I'm going to, t and Lake Chautauqua is what would be uh, the Mediterranean. So I want to give you a little tour that may help flesh out just how significant today's scripture passage is. Um, you can see the sun is just about rising over Lake Chautauqua. So here is a map of the Holy Land, and we're going to start our tour down here and walk up to Jerusalem and then all the way up past Capernaum to Caesarea Philippi, which is where our scriptures take place today. So let's go on a little walk. The bell tower is right over there and someone is sculpting in sand this week. A bell tower. Please do not touch. Isn't that amazing? So we would be walking through the desert here. This would be not a very inhabited land. The Dead Sea, which is the lowest part of, on Earth, that is down there. This is the model city of Hebron. This was built, by the way, about a hundred years ago, this topographical life-size uh, map of the Holy Land. This is Bethlehem, city of Bethlehem, and here would have been Jerusalem. So this, on the hill, you can see on one of the highest parts of the Holy Land, the city of David was built. You can see the Mount of Olives over there, and Jericho would have been down there. So that road from Jerusalem down to Jericho would have been a, a very steep and lonely and barren walk where the parable of the uh, Good Samaritan takes place. Walking further north, you can see the city of Bethel, the Jordan River, which connects the Sea of Galilee up there with the Dead Sea down there, cuts right through what is now Israel, Palestine, Jordan. You can hear, see here Jacob's Well, 
It even has some water in it. This is where Jesus had the longest conversation in the New Testament with the woman at the well. Walking further north, we're now crossing over some mountains. This is Mount Mora, Mount Tabor. Here's Nazareth. Here's where the Mount of the Beatitudes was, the, the uh, Tiberias Sea or, or, or this, the Sea of Galilee, which is right over here. And you would have seen uh, Capernaum at this area. This is 75% of Jesus' teaching took place in, in that small area right there on the northern shores of uh, the Sea of Tiberias or Capernaum. Here's Cana, where the wedding of Cana took place, Jesus' first miracle. We're still going north to what is now the Golan Heights. And this is where today's passage would have taken place. Here, up here is Caesarea Philippi. So looking down from Caesarea Philippi, you can see the whole Holy Land. Caesarea Philippi was named after Caesar Augustus, who was one of the emperors of Rome. He was egomaniacal. He loved power. He wielded it without any mercy. Um, he was always right, never wrong, and if anybody challenged him, he would just take them out. By the time Jesus and his disciples got to Caesarea Philippi, they certainly would have been seeing signs along the road that says, this is Caesarea, this is named after Caesar Augustus, the son of God. So isn't it fascinating that it is here in this region that Jesus asked his disciples who do you say that I am? He first says, who do people say I am? Well, the disciples say, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're uh, Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you are one of the prophets. And then Jesus turns the question to them personally, which is always a good question for we who are followers of Jesus to ask. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. Now, I always heard that as um, Peter saying, you're the Messiah, you're the son of the living God. But in this case, in this region, he's saying, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, not Caesar, not Caesar Augustus, you, which is an outrageous and political and dangerous statement. Because what he was saying in this region was, Jesus, you are the most powerful. You are the son of God, the son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, Simon, son of Jonah, Remember Jonah, 
before Jesus said, the only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah, where you have to go into the belly of the whale for three days and then be spit up on another shore, transformed by that experience in the darkness, transformed by that experience in the disgusting muck of the inside of a big fish. Jesus himself did that. He said followers of Jesus would need to go through that. He said, Simon, son of Jonah, God has told you this. This is wisdom that doesn't just come from you. It comes through you. It comes from God. And on this, I will build my church. On this faith, on this person, on this moment of recognition, where Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. This is helpful for us as followers of Jesus to be reminded by Simon and by Jesus of this outrageous claim that I believe that Jesus, born in Bethlehem, is the son of the living God, which makes all of the earth sacred because the son of the living God walked on this soil and breathed this air and drank this water from this one planet. As we face the unknowns of the future, I'm reminded of the courage of Peter to make that statement and the courage of modern day prophets like the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, who said, Christians, church, we need to be very clear about who we are in relation to Caesar, in relation to power. He said, we are not the master of the state. We are not the servant of the state. We are the conscience of the state. So perhaps God is calling us for such a time as this, church, to be the conscience of the state, the conscience of people who may be looking for deeper answers than they've ever looked for before, so that we can be the conscience that says, as Christians, we believe God cares for the poor. We believe God cares for the marginalized. We believe that God cares for the equity of all people and the dignity of all people. Who do you follow? Who do we follow together? What do we say about who Jesus is? In my minimal understanding, I believe that Jesus is the son of the living God. And we are called to follow him wherever he leads together. May it be so for you and for me and for the church of Jesus throughout the world.